Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning. That made me laugh a lot because I, that is an experience, isn't it, that we all have sometimes in life where you think, I'm just trying to get this thing done. I'm just trying to connect. I'm just trying to get through this important information. I'm just trying to hear the calls I need to hear in my life. And yet there seem to be blocks <laughs> along the way and it's just not happening. And when I see clips like that, I think, yeah, they are pictures for me of how sometimes our struggle to connect with the things we're trying to connect with in life can just feel very, very, very real and... Um, yeah, incredibly frustrating. And I was thinking this morning about the word possibilities. And of course, when things are straightforward in life, um, Rob showed the picture last week of a, of a choice of doors. When we're in that liminal space, and we'll hear a bit about that this morning, you've got choices and possibilities open to you. But that's sometimes why it can be so hard to get through and connect because it's like which room is the phone call going to which door am I supposed to open who's answering it and am I answering it and you're answering it is this going to work out and sometimes it's the possibilities in our life which is a really good thing to have possibilities in your life that can also feel like the frustrations and the difficulties and the challenge because you're like I I don't know how I'm going to get through here or where I'm going to work through here or what's going to happen. I found out recently that my dad, um, whenever, I didn't know this the whole of the time I was growing up, but when he's in a restaurant, he looks at the menu and he picks two things he might want to eat from the menu and he only decides which one to choose when the waiter or waitress says, what would you like, sir? And then in that moment, at the last minute, he picks one because he likes to have the two possibilities in his mind right up to the moment. It's actually not like my dad to do this, which is why I found it so fascinating because he is a man of great clarity and great certainty. And so the fact that he reserves possibility in his life for these moments actually made me smile. And I just wondered this morning whether some of the possibilities you're sitting on in your life are causing you frustration or actually could open new doors for you this morning. We've just moved to a new office this week. We're at Clifton Moor now. And there are so many hallways that I got lost on my first day twice because it's like a, a maze trying to find your way around. And the, the other day, <laughs> I walked into someone else's office thinking it was the way to reception. 
And it wasn't. It was someone else's room, which was a little embarrassing. I haven't confessed that to my colleagues yet. Um, and, you know, when there are those hallways and these possibilities in life, it can be really easy to get lost. And it can be really easy to um, feel like you're going to get something wrong or to just feel muddled. But the other thing that happened the other day was um, the fire alarm went off. We found our way out and realised that we'd found a friend because Lisa Hamilton also works there. So we bumped into her and we realised she'd been next door for three days and we hadn't realised. And so all of these things for me paint a picture sometimes of how we're all navigating these things where we're in our own hallways of life, working out which doors to go through and what we should do. And sometimes what's required is to take a breath to listen, to have a think, and just to stand in front of all the possibilities for a few minutes. And so I want to ask some of you this morning to suspend some of your certainties and to allow for some possibility for some new thoughts, for something that you might need to doubt, for something that you might need to be unsure of for a time, for something that you might need to become sure of this morning, but to just allow a morning of possibility in your life, as you listen to, there's going to be three speakers this morning who are going to share some reflections from recent content and some new thoughts. And I want you to be completely open to possibilities, to not listen to whether you agree or disagree or whether you think they're right or they're wrong, but to listen for the possibilities that it could bring up in your own life and experience of your faith. Um, because I think that sounds exciting. Isn't possibility good news? I think it must be. So just before I get down, I just wanted to remember Debbie again this morning. She is in hospital. We're thinking of her. We're praying for her. And if you want an update, because you're, you're friends and you've, you've not heard how she is, Eunice, Pete and Jan and I are, are all in touch with um, Vicky and have an awareness of some of the things that are going on there. But she, she's showed a bit of forward progress this week, which is excellent. And there's a card at the front of the building. If you could all sign a card for her before you leave this morning. So she's got our thoughts and well wishes in her hand um, when they can be dropped off this week. That would be really great. And we are trusting for great possibility for Debbie and for love and power and a sound mind because we're told that we don't have a spirit of fear. We have love, power and a sound mind. And I think that's at least three possibilities there for us all this morning. Thank you. Okay, I wanted to give a few reflections over what we've heard over the last month. I hope you'll agree we've got some really good stuff that's been said, and I think there's a sound that kind of runs through it all, which I think is quite exciting. Um, now, two weeks ago, on the 19th of Feb, um, we were in the back, and we were discussing what Jenny had spoken about the previous week, about these four stages of faith. Now, I found this quite helpful for me personally, one, to see kind of where I've come from and what my journey's been, but also to kind of give a bit of a framework to what might be next for me and maybe for some of us. Um, so I want to kind of summarize this, give you a bit of a reflection on how it's helped me. Um, so we weren't here, Amy and I, because we were in Wales. Wales is very beautiful. This is where we went to. Kids, you might be able to notice, can you see the dinosaurs in there? So we've got a brontosaurus. The wildlife in Wales is crazy. This one ate Amy. Um, that was quite a cool place we went to. Uh, so Wales is beautiful, but uh, while we were there, obviously you were here talking about these four stages of faith. But I actually felt that over the weekend I'd experienced 
those four stages, but maybe in a different context. So I want to kind of outline them a little bit. So driving to Wales takes about five hours. We were right at the bottom of Wales. It was a long drive. Um, and I think I experienced stage one of this journey in Wales, because stage one is about conformity. So when you're in stage one of faith, it's about conforming to the rules, submitting to an authority. On the roads driving, I did what I was told, which is harder than it seems in Wales, because all the signs are in Welsh. Um, but on the way, I'm sticking to the speed limit, because I meant to. Did I do it because I wanted to necessarily succeed in life? I just did it because I didn't want to get a fine or a speeding ticket. I was kind of doing what I was told, submitting to the rules by what I was handed, mainly because I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't. Sometimes that's where you stick to the rules, isn't it? So that's a kind of a good example of a stage one of faith. Um, so for me personally, a stage one of faith was what I experienced in my upbringing. And I guess we all often have it, whatever our upbringing was, because we have parents that say, this is how you do life. So we then submit to what they say. That's often our stage one. We conform to it. Um, my faith growing up often was, I'm quite a compliant person, so I tend to go, oh, okay, yep, that's what I'm going to do. Yep, I'll, I'll do the rules. Um, so I did it mainly conformed to this pattern of faith I was given because I was scared of disappointing people and probably disappointing God, and what would happen if I, God forbid, broke those rules that I was handed. So that's that stage one of faith. On the Saturday in Wales, I went surfing. Now, a few years ago, we went on holiday, and I got the surfing bug. I'm a bit of an idiot, because I came home from, where were we, the, some hot place we went to near Africa, and I came back and was like, I'm going to go surfing in Britain. So I went to Scarborough. It's not quite as warm in Scarborough as it was on holiday. So this was me in Wales, in my sexy suit. <laughs> it was quite cold. Um, but the reason I tell you this is because stage two of faith is about succeeding and winning. It's about your faith being something that you submit to the authority, not because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't, but because you want to succeed and win at life. You want to conquer things. I can, uh, so I had a guy uh, called Rob who was helping me out. He was stood on the shore and he'd whistle me back in and be like, right, you need to just change this and do your legs like this. That will help you conquer the wave. You'll be able to ride a wave if you do this. So that's for me, it felt like a good example of that stage two of faith. It's not just doing what you're told because you're scared you'll get in trouble if you don't. It's that idea of faith for me can be something that helps me win and succeed at life. Um, for me, I think I experienced that stage of faith when I moved from where I grew up, up here to York, which was about, well, I moved up in 2001, which is a long time ago now, isn't it? Um, but I think from when I was about 15, I started coming up and I heard Anth speak for the first time. Who remembers It's Not Your Destiny to Die in the Desert tapes? I had them sent down to my house. In May. I would sit in my bedroom writing notes on them. It was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And it was, it was not, you're doing this because if you don't believe this, you're in trouble. It was like, this will help you win at life and be victorious in how you live. And that, for me, was working at that point. And that might be a stage that you find just, faith for you might be that at the moment. And there is nothing wrong with that. That's just one of these seasons or stages of life we go through. But for me, I then experienced a different stage of life and moved into a different season. And I think that probably came with the journey we went on when we started to deconstruct our faith. Now, when I was in Wales, I went to a wedding. The wedding was of a friend that I grew up with. Um, and a lot of the people that I knew there were people who I probably shared their faith when we were growing up. We kind of grew up in the same environment. Um, one day, Amy said, you seem a bit sad today. 
I'm not usually very emotionally aware. So it took me a minute to think, am I sad? What am I sad about? And I, after a while, figured out what it was. And it was the fact that I have found myself in this stage three of faith, where you are perplexed, you are full of questions. And so when you're engaging with other people that seem like they're certain about Jesus is their best friend and has a plan for their life, and they're so certain about their faith, to me they felt like, ah, oh, I, I don't have that with you anymore because I'm not certain and I'm full of questions. And so even being in the wedding service, I'm like, I, I don't get this. This doesn't make any sense to me anymore, you know? And I just full of questions, didn't feel like I could connect. And sometimes when you're in that stage three of faith, all you have is the questions and the perplexity. Uh, I felt like Jerry. Now, you might be thinking, who is Jerry? But if you were there on the 19th, we created different characters for each of these stages. This was Jerry. Jerry's not sure. The experiences of his life have led him to being uncertain of his beliefs. He struggles to fully trust authority and the Bible and leaves church with more questions than answers. Um, but something's happened to me recently. I definitely noticed after coming back from that weekend that I was in this stage three of life, full of questions, is there even a God? I don't know, did Jesus even exist? I'm not sure. It's all just so fluid and almost I've got nothing to grab onto and build my life. And that sometimes filters out to the rest of my life. What do I even want to do with my life? Is there any point in getting up in the morning? What should I do this week? Everything can become very fluid, you know? Um, And I think that's a natural stage of life, but not always the complete journey and the complete picture. Uh, Ant's often spoken before about how we learn more from our reactions than our actions. Um, I wrote a song called Commas and Question Marks, and the strap line in this song is, I don't know what I know anymore. I realized recently that I wrote that five years ago, and that's quite a long time to be in a season and a stage of life. So recently, I've started to doubt my perplexity. Now, one thing that Jenny and Rob both spoke about was as you move through the seasons and stage of life, it is doubt that pulls you through. Now, some of you might be thinking, but doubt's a bad thing. You shouldn't doubt things. The reason doubt is helpful is because if you're sat down in a chair and you never get uncomfortable, you're never going to move. If you're sat on the sofa and you never question, oh, I feel like I want to go into the kitchen now and have a sandwich. You're never going to move on unless you get uncomfortable with where you are. And I think doubt for me is that I think there's something more. I think there's something beyond where I currently am. And I think for me recently, I've started to question, I think there's something beyond the perplexity. And I think this is definitely what's helped me with these four stages. It's helped me to see, I can see where I've come from, I can see where I am, but I know this isn't the end. There is something that I am becoming, and I love that. I love some of the words in that song about how it's actually about the progress, and that doesn't just stop with fluid perplexity of everything. So what's the fourth stage? The fourth stage is about harmony. Now, I've experienced harmony in two senses recently. Um, Yesterday, I played saxophone in a big band, and I realized harmony is part of working with lots of other people who are doing lots of different things. Joel's invited me to sing some harmonies. It's quite difficult singing harmonies because you have to concentrate on your bit, but also it has to fit in with everything else. Harmony is not easy. Harmony is not utopia. Sometimes we think like, oh, peace and harmony... We don't really understand harmony if we just think harmony is nice, because harmony is about loads of different sounds working together and blending together. And there is something that is required for that harmony to happen, which I think is love, accommodating what your sound might be, 
Grace has been mentioned a few times this morning. Sometimes we can misunderstand grace in a helpful way to think it's, oh, I'm a rubbish person, but God still loves me. I think that's an incomplete understanding of what grace might be. I think grace allows you the space to go your journey. It doesn't say, you've got to be in this stage, because if you're not, you're a failure. I think it says, you're in a season of life that you are, but that's not the end. Allow there to be room for you to grow and become who you are. I heard this quote this week, from doubting comes discovery. Doubting is a thinker's best friend. Someone else probably said it well, uh, whoever wrote Romans, was it Paul? Do we know? Maybe. Paul, he said, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not by be transformed by doing exactly what you're told. It's actually about renewing of your mind. There has to be some progress where we think through these things. I've lost track of how long I've got. Shall I wrap up? Not long. Good, thank you. Okay. I'm going to wrap up here. I had a really good chat with Anth when I was right there last week, and he dropped something into my mind which has helped me. He talked about the difference between certainty and confidence. Now, we've realized here that certainty can be quite dangerous because it can mean you get stuck in a certain kind of point of life. And sometimes when you've suffered and you've experienced some kind of pain, you latch onto something that you think is true and then you don't want to let go and you sometimes then get stuck in that. I experienced that and that's probably why I've been stuck in perplexity for five years. It helped me and where I was at that point is what I needed. But it's not good to get stuck there. It's time to move on to something else. Um, so it's not certainty, but confidence is something different. If I... Uh, if I was going to, if Joel came here and I was like, right, I'm going to jump and Joel's going to catch me, I might not be certain that he would, but if you trust someone, there's a measure of confidence, isn't there? And I think trust is still an important thing. Um, I think confidence is, I think some of you might have thrown out ideas because you just think, oh, I just cringe at that idea because it didn't work for me at that point. I wonder whether there's a measure to which we need to consider the things that we might be confident in but not certain of and that that might be helpful for a season. And I think that helps as we continue our quest to have a confidence that we can trust and that we are loved. You're only going to start to doubt things in an environment in which you feel safe to doubt things. And I think what Anthony and Chris did amazingly for years is they provided an environment for me that was safe to doubt. I remember sat in a room with you across the road and said, I'm not sure I believe in God anymore. And you went, that's all right. Think it through, figure it out, go with the journey. I know... I know somebody who said to me, I could never say that because they work in a church. They said I would be fired immediately if I said that. And the fact that we are safe to doubt and ask those questions is a great thing. Uh, sorry if I've gone on a bit too long. We have a song that works in with this about how nothing can separate. And I think it's worth engaging with. Thanks. The Lord be with you. Try again. The Lord be with you. I was thinking about that this week because um, I went to a Church of England school and it was said quite often, and it just becomes one of those things that you kind of say, uh, and we used to go to these religious services every, every now and then, and it was better than maths, but it wasn't um, great. Um, so yeah, it's just, I mean, that song there says nothing can separate, and the Lord be with you still kind of implies a little bit of separation, but I sort of looked into that this week. Um, this isn't what I want to talk about, by the way. This is just just come up. Um, yeah, I was looking at it this week, and uh, it, it it really derives from saying the Lord 
is with you, not be with you. You're not like wishing the Lord to be with you. Um, so I just thought uh, I would tie that in because we do quite a lot of self-reflection and a lot of psychology kind of stuff. And I think that is all part of the discovery of who God is. You know, looking at ourselves, if we are a part of God, a unique expression, then it's very important actually um, to sort of understand who we are so that we can actually understand God more. Anyway, I've got some technology with me today to try and help me through. What I haven't got is any notes to actually read. Now, let's just hope that this technology is going to work for me today. If it doesn't, it's fine. It's coming. It's coming. I will blag it. I will, there will be an element of blagging. Don't worry, Chris. <laughs> but I wanted to give you a little insight into my brain. Um, I have a lot of things going on in there, and uh, I've <laughs> I try and find different ways of processing it all and making it coherent, and that's kind of what I've really struggled to do this, this week, actually, because there's so many different thoughts from all the stuff that's been brought. And these are all just ideas that I could <laughs> talk about. A lot of the things that I've taken from what's been said over the past um, few weeks. Um, uh, but I wanted to start with this one, which is just something from a, a book on creativity, which has really helped me, and I think it just helps uh, sort of symbolize where, where we're at. Um, so it says, uh, where do you start if you haven't got an extraordinary transformative idea? Well, if you wait until the moment, if you wait until that moment, then you could be sitting around forever. Uh, don't set out to create a revolutionary breakthrough because you're putting yourself under enormous pressure and could freeze. And that's sort of what I identify with this week because I do want to do that all the time. But it says, uh, start with a small idea, develop it into something big. Create something new by making minor improvements uh, to something that already exists. Uh, work out how to push it forwards. And the beauty of this method is that you only have to take small steps and eventually many small developments will combine to create a new groundbreaking revolution. Now that's how I approach things like art because I'm a cartoonist, uh, I do a lot of art stuff and I have no problem with <laughs> approaching it like that. But when it comes to this place, it, it just feels like <laughs> you have to say something a lot more significant. Anyway, um, the thing that's been jumping out to me that people have been talking about um, is, is belief, actually. Belief it seems to feature prominently in what people are bringing. So Jenny talks about the four stages of faith, and Danny's done a good job of sort of conveying all that, but there was a couple of points in there where Jenny touched on some beliefs. So she said, uh, beyond what we know and believe is the horizon of faith. And she also asked the question of, which beliefs do you depend on believing? And I'll turn this card over. It says, we all have beliefs in our life that we want to see us through. Sorry, that we have to see us through. Uh, they will be the ones that, where you're avoiding perplexity. So, um, in this other book that I'm reading, which is by a guy called Tom Campbell, I've mentioned it before, it says, a, he says, a dislike for certainty creates a need for belief. And we've touched a little bit on certainty this morning. Um, and I just really liked as well, I'm sorry, I'm just sort of jumping through this because this is how my brain is. <laughs> I'm just helping you jump through this. It will be a little bit random. Um, uh, yes, you brought this uh, illustration of the window, which is, is from the book, um, what was it? Faith Beyond Doubt by Brian McLaren. So it's like faith is looking uh, at the sky through a clear or open window. In fact, we've already seen that in the clip this, this morning, haven't we? So I won't dwell on it too much. Uh, but I just thought that was a really nice illustration. But also just to mention faith in there, because I'll mention faith again in a minute, uh, that it's like looking uh, at the sky through a clear and open window and just accepting it as it is. That's the important point there. Um, 
So when we believe something uh, new, we either feel obligated to believe it or disbelieve it. Um, and that kind of solves a problem for us. So if something comes out, as we'll say, yeah, okay, I believe that. And that's kind of <laughs> done then. And then the other side is you can be like, no, I don't believe that. So it kind of solves a problem and puts that thing to bed. Rather than kind of uh, being careful that your intellect doesn't trick you into believing comfortable and seductive conclusions that are primarily designed to reduce your anxiety and reassure your ego and maintain your current self-satisfying worldview. I'll just bring that one up. Now, I've highlighted reduce your anxiety because Claire talked a lot about anxiety uh, when she spoke the other week. And she said, which I believe is kind of a faith response to our anxiety, about having a, a dialogue uh, with our anxiety, which <laughs> sounds like a bizarre concept, but it's actually just what can, you, what can you learn from it when the anxieties come up. Usually that's, there's probably a root fear in that, or a root belief that you can sort of, that's quite hard to find, but um, it's just <laughs> sitting with them and discussing them. Like I've had to kind of sit with my anxiety this week just on figuring out how to bring some of this stuff. And I think it's just the process of accepting it as, as part of the process, which is really important. Um, so I don't know if you remember Joel talking about his um, belief that he wasn't going to sleep, uh, was having some insomnia. And with that was, um, was coming some anxiety. Um, and that was a sort of learned helplessness, which was again was a, an amazing message um, because it was the whole thing that we can sort of unlearn that as well. Was it unlearn? Or you can learn not to be helpless, <laughs> whichever way around it is. Um, so he said, uh, when we practice the belief that we have no control over our lives, what happens to us, or what happens to us, uh, you begin to act as though you are helpless. Now it's a, he said, beliefs have that gained momentum. Sorry, I cannot read my own things now. I'll look a little bigger. <laughs> uh, beliefs that have gained momentum become habits. And the belief that it's the belief that it's never going to change brings a level of hopelessness. But he sort of came to the conclusion that this too shall pass. And that in itself is a bit of an acceptance in the same way that faith, uh, how, we, how we talked about it earlier, uh, how it was mentioned in that sort of window analogy. Is so, um, Danny also touched on beliefs and that he had um, sort of prescribed religious beliefs. Uh, and he also said that religion, religious beliefs wasn't necessarily just church beliefs and about theology and God or whatever. It was just any system of inflexible, inflexible static beliefs. Uh, and Rob as well, when he spoke, he, he mentioned that he put everything he believed back on the table and he asked himself whether he still should. And this is all part of a really tough process to sort of question your beliefs. Um, and all of this has sort of resonated with me because I've been reading a lot about belief just in general as a concept. And it, it sort of reminded me of something that Anth brought. Uh, it's actually a couple of years ago now, but it still feels very fresh uh, to me. And I feel like it sort of ties some of this stuff together. So he looked at the root word of belief from the Middle English, which is actually like be wish. You want to wish something. It's basically um, you, you believe what you, you want. Well, I've touched on it earlier, actually. It's it sort of helps with your uncertainty. Just bear with me. Yeah, so it was actually an Alan Watts quote that he, he was looking at, uh, which is a really good one on belief. Uh, so I'll just go through the cards quickly now because I'm running out of time. But belief doesn't make a thing true. 
And where belief thrives, faith is suppressed. So that brings up the question of faith again. Um, so belief clings and faith lets go. Again, I will liken that to this too shall pass and just allowing the, the, the process to kind of go through. Uh, and faith is an unreserved opening of the mind to truth. And then he talked a little bit about Christianity. Actually, this was in a different preach um, from about a year ago, just over a year ago. Uh, and Christianity is not based on believing something, it's based on being something from a revelation. And so Christianity is an itty, which I liked. Um, it's a way of being and not, uh, not a way of being something and not believing something. Now there was something more profound that I had in here, and it's hiding. It's hiding. Do you know what? I'm not going <laughs> to dwell too much on those bottom cards there, but there's lots of different things that we could talk about belief, and I might bring more of it at a different time. Um, but I had four closing thoughts, and what I tried to do is uh, liken them to those four different stages to try and uh, speak <laughs> to, to, to different people. Uh, and they might not quite be right, but it doesn't matter. It's what I came up with at 2 o'clock this morning. Uh, <laughs> So here, just try and take these away with you. Have a think about them. Uh, so you can be certain that this too shall pass. Uh, think of Jesus asleep on the boat in the storm. Uh, the storm will end. The matter is finished in your favor, like the song we, we sing here. Um, identify which beliefs, number two, sorry. Identify which beliefs might be holding you back from a more beautiful gospel. Like I said, that's quite hard to do. Uh, but often our fears and anxieties can expose those things. Uh, number three. Should we hold any beliefs at all? That's one that I've been wondering about. <laughs> and number four, to have faith is to trust yourself to the water. So again, this is Alan Watts. He said about like, if you end up in some water, when you swim, you don't grasp hold of the water. When Danny was uh, surfing, you don't grasp hold of the water. If you do that, uh, you're going to sink and you're going to drown. And that is what belief does. Belief tries to grab onto something. Whereas faith says, just relax and float. Um, so I just wanted to leave you with that. And if that wasn't <laughs> enough wisdom for you, we've got our children now to contribute to the story. So enjoy this video, because we've enjoyed sort of filming their responses to this question. And it's around what's next, which is something that Rob uh, talked a little bit about, and it's very much where we're at. So let's see what the kids think when they are asked what's next. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to everybody who's contributed today. I really appreciate it. It's not, it's not easy. And I know we've said this, this um, many times before, but, you know, and I know that Dan is on staff, but, you know, a lot of the people that contribute are still working, you know, full-time jobs. And uh, we take for granted that, um, you know, the time that was invested um, into preparing on a weekly basis was huge. And uh, so it doesn't go without saying that we appreciate that you're finding the time to, to bring some great stuff to say. Um, so I haven't really planned anything specific, um, but I do definitely know that Jenny mentioned when she arrived today, she said, um, I definitely feel like I'm getting back into the prophetic again, she said. And I said, I get you, but it's that word I struggle with now based on all that we've deconstructed. I said, can we call it the flow? Oh, good, great. We're on, good, right. And it, interestingly, the reason why, I mean, we've, we've heard a lot about this, Richard Rower and, you know, the reason why I like the flow is because I think the prophetic suggests 
that you are having to wait for an external force to somehow tell you something and bring you into line, right? But that's suggesting that that doesn't exist all the time in all things, everywhere, through all, in all, I am that I am. You get what I'm saying, right? Um, I think the flow is more when we simply allow the flow to be and we actually realize that we're more connected than we think we are. Um, so that, I know that that was very prophetic to me because I, um, I always love the opportunity I get to, to meet with, uh, with my mum. I've, I've found a little slot on a Thursday where I'm able to, to leave work and go, go over and sit with her for an hour or two. And we just engage in conversation, talk about where I am, where she is, about our understanding, about things we've learned from what we've read. Um, and this week was no exception. It's interesting because I made a comment and then she made a comment about something that was also connected to it. And I realized that this particular topic kind of seemed to, seemed to come to the fore. Um, and I'd watched a video recently on YouTube and when I'd been sent it as a link, and when I opened it, of course, they both started speaking in French, and I'm thinking, well, this is no good. Luckily, the, look, luckily then the, um, the subtitles came up, so I thought, right, that's fine. It was about an hour and 10 minutes long. Um, anyway, I'm listening, I'm thinking, oh, it, she was an author in, in France, um, psychologist, philosophist, kind of that sort of thing. And she was writing about a specific thing in this book. Um, and the term that she used, I mean, it jumped out, to me, jumped out to me and I thought, this is just amazing. She said, what occurred was we removed man's right to be noble. And I felt shivers down my spine. I thought, and I rewound it and I thought I need to listen to that again. And she said, what we did was remove man's right to be noble. Now, her book is, for, is about a very specific situation, which I'm not going to get into, but the fundamental premise of what she was trying to bring was, when you create dogmas and creeds and, and authorit authoritarian narratives, whatever that may be, and we've learned a lot here about isms and about, and about things that we, and beliefs, right? Um, Within that, what happens is you become so conformed to the rules and the creed and the dogma that you actually remove your right to be noble. And I just thought that was an incredibly powerful statement. And I'm going to get my phone out because I did write some notes while we were, while a few people were bringing things today. Um, let's see. Yeah, so to be noble, okay, what does to be noble mean? Um, it's basically to have um, high personal qualities or high moral principles. Now, one of the things that I feel, and I'm going to say this now because it really came to me, I'm actually finding in my life my biggest frustration is there seems to be, and I say this as a positive to what we are as a, as a house, I find now there to be more dogma outside of these four walls than within it when it used to seem to be the other way around I'm finding it's out there that I'm wanting to deconstruct now not within here so take that as a as a positive I had a beautiful comment from a friend that I have on Twitter who said he listens to our things and he said it's so refreshing to hear a place that brings their thoughts where they're allowed to question and doubt where in the outside world now it seems to be going the opposite way where everything's about conformity and agreeing and if you don't agree with this you're a bad person and and you cancel culture and you know you hear where I'm coming from right Right? Now, interestingly, did you know that the thing that brought man out of the Dark Ages 
was the all, in a way, it was a kind of nobility. He decided to take the bull by the horns and say, we are not going to live like this anymore. We are going to find ways to live better, right? And I think it's, do you know, we're, we're humans that lived in the dark ages for centuries, right? And apart from coffee also being part of the thing that got us out of it, believe it or not. It's true, true story. Man decided it's time to be noble, face life head on and find ways of making things better, right? Now, the problem with avoiding things, are you, um, Kev, you, you put up a thing that said you could be sitting around forever. You know, that thing that he said. The dark ages, people were sitting around thinking, well, this is just what it is. This is just how life is. Until someone decided, no, this is what is at present, but we're going to face it head on and we're going to make some change. And I think that that's really, really powerful. Now, interestingly, we learned a lot over the past about what it is to be noble. Can you remember when we learned about um, Joseph? He was chagrined, but noble. What did it mean? The circumstances and situations that he was, was in was just what it was. It was not necessarily in his control. He'd not caused the problem. But rather than sitting around and just thinking, well, this is what it is, you know, woe is me, he decided to put his shoulders back, stand up and face reality as it was. And ultimately what came from that was, was really quite incredible. Um, one of the, the, can you just put up the slide? I think Danny prepared it, the one about um, first comes the, I love this quote from Julian. First the fall, then the recovery, but both are the grace of God. If you're not living in reality and facing things, what you do is you avoid the fall. Do you see what happens there? If you are protected from falling, it might all be nicey-nicey, which actually I don't think it ever really is, but that's a whole different conversation. You could say you avoid the pain, you avoid the challenge, but actually all you end up doing is sitting around forever, waiting for something to happen, and you don't ever truly live. And I would say here, there is something about taking responsibility for your life and being noble that makes you feel, look, look what I... Look what I did, look what I achieved. And I think that's a really important thing. Now, interestingly, and just I'm going to close with this. You'll remember way back when we were the Rock Church, we called it the Noble House. And I think it's quite interesting that this should come round in that I read it and there's a few sentences in there that I probably wouldn't word the same now. But the thing I loved about it was it was the same sound it's still got that same sound. And I think it's really quite powerful. So I'd like to read it anyway, because I think it's really powerful. But I'm going to change it. So Q is a group of people who have submitted to a deep desire to follow God with all their hearts. They do not profess or pretend to be perfect Christians, but they understand that there is a journey from slavery to spiritual wholeness. They recognize their need for God's mercy and through an incredible cooperation of human choice and amazing divine grace, that homeward journey, like the prodigal, can be successfully achieved. Q is a noble house. It is easy to behave nobly in easy times. The truly noble are those who in times of difficulty, I think this is really powerful, betrayal and pain, maintain their integrity, maturity and compassion. They do not write people off, turn their backs or point their finger in judgment, but they point to the cross, the agent of change. Now, 
we would have said before that was to do with bloodshedding, penal substitution, we know that. But I still don't think that that's wrong because what we understand of the cross is very different now, right? But go listen to all that stuff we can't talk about it now. Um, they, they are forgiven people who seek to walk in forgiveness to others, loved people who are learning to love one another as they have been loved by God. Q is a house of love and radical forgiveness. Broken lives been nursed back to health. They have undertaken essential process of transformation, an unlearning process in which their old habits, beliefs and fears are being cleansed, liberated and redeemed. Although a long and painful process, they intentionally make the choice to stay the course until the job is done. They would say that as individuals, they are not all that they should be, but recognize themselves as recovering sinners. Again, we've talked about what it is to be a sinner, right? Go listen. Yeah, knowing who you are, no separation. I would say it when Jesus said, get up your mat and go, right? Um, and on that basis, they are becoming so much more than they have ever been. Each taking responsibility for their own issues, it is in this environment of safety and non-judgment that the courage is found and freedom is won. I think that that still is very relevant today. Um, and what I want to say is I want to honour you for being noble in the journey that we've walked. It's not easy. However, be aware, and I've said this before, just because you've done it in this context... It's amazing how quick we can become just as bound. And when I say that, I feel that I hate saying out there, you hear what I'm saying, right? I, I, I actually do believe that we really are in a very particular um, culture at the minute that is bound by dogma and narratives and by ism. Honestly, and I'm saying this as a challenge, be aware of it and... Trust what we are learning here because there are psychologists and philosophers all over the world who would absolutely vouch for the things that we are saying, right? And learn to allow that to speak to you and transfer it to other things that you could be noble in that situation and bring life and transformation just as we've done in the culture of this house. Remember, structure and culture. Culture is alive. The yogurt needs culture to grow, right? And for me, I think that the world needs, when I say the world, hear me, the, we're not talking about unbelievers and secular versus, you know, whatever. We're talking about the world as it stands. And, and I'll put this in, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going on now. You did say I'd be over 10 minutes. Um, I think the reason why the world is struggling is because of their lack of meaning by being noble. So if, if you have a noble aim, this is the term that you used, right? If you have a noble aim in life, the meaning is to be noble in every situation you face. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, you stand up, you face life and you live it with all of its, you know, with all that's going on. Whereas what we're seeing happen a lot is people are so desperate for safety, security, which what happens with that, the moment you take away their right for a noble aim, they have to find meaning somewhere, right? And where do they find it? They find it in groups. 
they find it in collective ideologies, whereas actually the greatest freedom we can find is as the individual, which I love that last part, each taking responsibility for their own issues, their own life, in an environment of safety and non-judgment that the courage is found and freedom is won. I believe we can find freedom and take what we've understood here into the barrenness of what's happening at the minute. So let that be an encouragement to you. Thank you again for being here and we'll sing one last song to finish. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest. <laughs>